Welcome to Clement Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's Clement Tech Revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Berno, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show, and we won't shy away from spikes, secrets, and contrarian views. To make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights, you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Hey guys, our guest today is Lawrence Leuschner. He's the co-founder and CEO of Tier Mobility, Europe's largest micro-mobility startup based out of Germany. It's one of those nine climate tech unicorns in Europe as of June 2022. You can now ride Tier's electric scooters, bikes, and mopeds in over 130 cities from London and Paris to Berlin and Dubai. They were founded in 2018, and today they count more than 900 employees. They've raised more than $650 million. They did six acquisitions to consolidate their leadership. So it's definitely one of those leaders in mobility in Europe and one of the largest players globally. There's a lot we can learn from Lawrence as a top entrepreneur, but also as an impact investor. Lawrence has pledged his entire stake in tier into his own climate fund. So I'm very curious to learn more about this. Without further ado, here is Lawrence Leuschner. Lawrence, I'm honored to have you on Climate Insiders. Welcome. Thank you. To kick things off, uh, I wanted to roll back Tier's history. So it wasn't an overnight success, was it? I'm sure it's been a, a bumpy road. Can you tell us the cornerstone moments that turned Tier into a success story? Yeah, absolutely. So I think from the start, we were a bit um, behind the overall market uh, capitalization. So the competitors, especially from the US, had much more capital, 5 to 10x, I would say. And we needed to start differently. We needed to be um, the David and the Goliath game, and we needed to actually build a game plan that differentiates us from the rest with being more capital efficient and uh, winning CTs for the long term. So I think we did a pretty good job in the beginning to make sure we have a very unique strategy, including partnership with the CTs, including building hardware that lasts longer, doubling down on sustainability, which is my background and creating an infrastructure of mobility where we own the operations. And I think that was like the first cornerstone. The next cornerstone, I think, was when we uh, realized that we can actually scale pretty quickly with the basis, uh, the fundament that we actually built up. So on operations, a good vehicle, good relationship with the city. So we actually then went into scale mode. And when mm -hmm. we scaled in Germany, which was a market that was not open when we started the business, we scaled within two dates in seven cities, we went up the yeah. we went up the app charts to be the number one, not in mobility, but in in in, in the global charts. So before WhatsApp and, and Google Maps, etc. So I realized that we have a massive product market fit and we were um, the team was working really hard to actually make Germany uh, happy. And I think those are the two first milestones that I remember that gave us a um, lot of lot of tailwinds that uh, also concluded then in really good funding rounds. Yeah, and uh, look from my chair, it looks like this this whole e-scooter wave has been happening in three waves, right? First, it started with the Chinese bikes, the super cheap, super uncomfortable ones. Uh, 
then they were all gone. <laughs> We've seen millions of bikes piling up in cemeteries in China. It's frightening. Uh, do you even know what happened to the, all those bikes in the end that were in Europe and seem to have been sent back to China? Yeah, I mean, I know the story and it's not for me a f feasible business model if you yeah. just buy new bikes you don't repair. So they had no repair infrastructure. So I'm coming from a repair background. So my business before that was Rebuy and we were giving over 100 million products a second life like mobile phones. So I just okay. can't I just can't leave a scooter behind. Um, so our repair infrastructure was built by day one. And, and so the second wave, right? Chinese are gone. Then we've seen the rush of Uber, Lime. So the massive wave of those overcapitalized US startups taking over the, the cities in Europe. 12 months later, gone. <laughs> Uber announced a pullback. Lime also has retreated. And, and then the third wave really is the wave of consolidation between some of the largest players in Europe, which you've played a, a big part of, and you've acquired smaller players, and now you seem to dominate. The, the question is for how long? Right. Do you think this is uh, now set and it will get the landscape is frozen? If you think you're set, I think you, you should retire. So um, I don't think we are in the moment where we are set. So um, there are so many challenges along the way of a company, uh, especially in the sector where you need to be prepared for. If it's regulation that changes, if it's a new competitor coming in um, or um, supply chain constraints or um capitalization challenges when you look at the financial markets so i mean you always have to be on the on the tip of your toes and figure out what is going to be the next leapfrog um that you want to pull off so you need to be really focused on making sure right now uh one of the two things that we we really need to make sure is create a profitable business because otherwise companies who are not focusing on profitability will not survive Right. There's profitability, but there's also the impact profile of, of such a startup. And uh, I can't help but ask the question that's on everyone's mind is what is the actual impact profile of e-scooters these days? How long does the battery actually last and, and yeah. how often do we need to change it? Um, sure, I can answer that. So first of all, when you looked at the business model, it was not sustainable. So when companies mm -hmm. were deploying scooters that last for weeks now i'm talking about six to eight weeks sometimes 10 weeks so um that is not a business model if you just deploy venture capital into scooters and the payoff period was longer than the vehicle actually lasted so doesn't work so therefore we worked out an own vehicle uh co-developed that one and now we're looking at a lifetime of five years so that is a proper vehicle and even if there are parts that aren't working we replace them repair them etc and even if it's really not working anymore, so certain parts don't work anymore, we recycle them. Battery is a big part of it. Um, we develop own batteries. Uh, we think there are multiple ways to build a more sustainable batteries, not only from the origin of parts um, and, the, and the sources who are in the battery, but also how you treat batteries, how you um, diagnose batteries, but also how do you recycle or reuse batteries. So we have a full life cycle assessment done. So we make sure that the vehicles don't only last long, but also when they are replaced, uh, we have multiple streams to recycle and reuse them. And do you assemble all the parts in Europe? Do, do, do you still source them from China? We and, source them, we source and, them globally. Um, and okay. sourcing is globally because different uh, resources come globally and then we um, assemble them. Um, but currently it's, it's much more 
sufficient for us to do that in Asia because in Asia most of the resources come together. Okay. And how do you how do you uh, intend to extend right the life cycle of, of each battery? Just uh, making them bigger. I've seen that right in, in new tier uh, mopeds or, or scooters. Just the battery is increased yeah. in size. But how do we make that more sustainable, right? Long term, right? Uh, looking at the next ten years. What's so the leapfrog that needs to happen technologically. Yeah, I mean there are different ways how you can increase a lot of battery. So first of all, you need to make sure that the casing is really bulletproof, waterproof. So we are outdoor. So we are an outdoor, we are in the outdoor battery business. So therefore you need to make sure that your ceilings and 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 all the bolts, everything that is uh, built to make the battery fitted together needs to be like really strong. Um, that you don't have any water problems. So that's one. So the, the overall design of the battery, the production of the battery, how you make the the, the, the case um, is one thing. And then you need to look at which cells you use. You use cheap cells, you need high quality cells. Uh, so that's also a big part of the overall production. And then the third piece is when do you need to repair? So if you don't diagnose things, um, things will start being a problem and then they spread. So I think there's ways to diagnose batteries over time to make sure that you can actually repair um, the batteries before they completely die. And what's the name of the game in this kind of business, which is hardware intensive, capital intensive? Um, is it to handle the inventories? Is it the shipping? Is it the, the maintenance? Is it really the repair? Is it really one part of that value chain? That is you critical. mean you're asking what's critical for running a micromobility company? Micromobility and and doing it profitability with profitability, yeah. but also um, sustainably. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you hit the point. I mean, when I started this business, our mission is to change mobility for good, and it's still on. So we need to make sure that we're actually creating an impact. And you talked about impact. So I answered the yeah. question to the battery, but the question is, what is the impact that actually scooters have? So what we're doing, we're measuring um, the rides that you replace with a scooter versus a car, versus a subway, versus walking, etc. So we have enough data uh, research done to actually can prove that we are replacing about 18, 19, 20% of car rides that are rides that you can do by a taxi or they have been done by their own car. And those replacement rates are a multiple factor of CO2 emissions per 100 uh, per one kilometer traveled in, in, in gram of CO2. So therefore, if you compare that to the ones that replace walking, um, um, at the end, we are net net positive. That means we're replacing uh, uh, kilotons of CO2 in the cities. And that gives me also satisfaction to actually run a an, an impact business um, because that's that's how I built here and that's what I've done before. And that's that's why I'm putting my my money in. Can I challenge that for a minute? And because sure. we are looking very closely at uh, the LCAs and impact footprint, and we were trying to keep our portfolio companies very accountable. Yeah. And I, I can't help but and and our audience, right? Anyone in the audience will probably make the same challenge that the e-scooters they seem to to actually um, uh, shift people away from food, bike, or public transportation, but not actually from cars. Um, do, do you have any stats to back it up? Is it really yeah, yeah. I, the I, trend is changing? That's what I just said. I mean, if you go on my LinkedIn account, I did a full transparent analysis of the data that we have. And we did a massive uh, research, which shows that 20%, around 20%, we replace cars. That means 80% replacing something else. 
Yeah. So you're right. Okay. We're replacing also walking. We're replacing other bike rides. We're replacing subway, etc. But if you look at the net net, yeah, if you multiply the positive impact and the negative impact, and you look really at the net net, we are still very positive because a car emits 150 to 250 grams CO2 per one kilometer traveled. We are at 40. So we're talking about four, five, six times uh, reduction. And you don't have a four or five times uh, reduction if you compare it to uh, riding a bike. And what's the game changer now to go from 20% to 100% or 80%? Is there um, a, a future roadmap for you to, to say um, we're going to strike partnerships with CDs to make sure that those things are available everywhere and, and people in urban areas? And this is a, a, a good... Uh, uh, disclaimer to make, right? We're talking about large cities, not not remote places where you still need a car to get around. So how do we get to 100%? So we're not only targeting large cities. We're also in cities that are above 100,000 where actually the subway, there's no subway. The public transport is really unreliable. So that's actually where we have even bigger impact. Um, I don't think 100% is realistic. Um, what's realistic is I think we can go over time to 50%, which would be um, twice of the CO2 um, tons that we are saving and what needs to happen to do to 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 be reality is that we need to push regulators we need to um, be thought leaders in micromobility to make sure that the cities have an alternative if they take out cars in the city and they end the dependency on cars which is my ultimate goal so the combination of different options so infrastructure helps a lot but really advocating for there are enough solutions that we can offer the citizen of the city that we can, are, have the ability to take cars and actually par car parking lots out of the city. Because if you don't offer other solutions, people say, hey, wait a minute, I can't move anymore. So I think the combination of subway, micromobility, um, privately owned vehicles will help us a lot um, to, 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 to drive for the challenge to create an emission-free city. Now, how capital intensive is this scenario? Will you continue needing hundreds of millions of, of euros in funding um, to scale, but also stabilize the business model? Or are you already reaching an inflection point where the business revenues feed the model? Yeah, I mean, we're growing really strong. Uh, we're growing every year over, over 100%. This year, we're going to grow much stronger. And um, we see huge demand of people who are really want to replace um, their, their current mobility needs um, that they have done before. And they realize that being in a car is just not a not a great great way of moving. So we can clearly see that you are um, so our utilization rate, how many scooters they, they they ride a day, or how many people riding a scooter per day is picking up. So I think with the assets, um, that is the majority of the investments um, that that will be reduced because we think we are getting to a stage where we have good enough assets, and then we need to really optimize the utilization of the vehicles. Um, we are currently at 300,000 vehicles, so we added uh, with our acquisition and our own deployment over 150,000 bikes, actually to over 200,000 bikes. So we are not a scooter company, we're actually a micro mobility company where the majority is bikes. Tell us one of the biggest learnings from the last four years building tier. What, what do you now know that you wish you would have known four years ago? Anything that stands out? If I would have known that after a year we are running into a global pandemic 
with a virus we have never seen for two years and then running into a European war with supply chain challenges and now a financial crisis, I think I, I would be... I would be much more, I would be much smarter if I would have known that. So the only thing that's missing is that uh, aliens uh, arrive next year. So you can imagine running a mobility business in uh, 500 cities, 20 countries with 300,000 vehicles is quite challenging, especially when you are um, having global crises. Yeah. And and tell us about your expansion plan in this context. Do you still need to to continue expanding and and continue acquiring other other players to uh, to exist in this business? Are you continuing the growth by? I mean, we are. I'm, yeah, I mean, we we acquired quite a lot of companies, and we are currently focusing on the, on really integrating them, especially the last two, which is a Spin in the US, but also yeah. our bike sharing business, Next Bike. So we have plenty of work of integration to do. So currently there's no further acquisitions planned. And as we are growing with our own business, the core brand here, but also with those two acquisitions um, that, that we are fully, fully capped with, 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 with what we are going to do. And, and now talking about growth, right? So how did you prepare your company for growth? It's not your first rodeo. Any insight you can share with other fellow entrepreneurs on, on the structural shift that you've done internally to prepare for hyperscalability? Did you have to hire certain roles? Is it embedded in your, in your culture? I think it's embedded in the culture. So one of our four values is uh, trailblaze. Um, so that really means that we are trying to push the limits. We challenge ourselves a lot. Um, so I also love, love to get challenged. Um, but the second thing is you need to bet on people who are, have been doing the roadie yeah. before. So it was very helpful that I have the experience before, but also was helpful that my co-founder, co-founder of Liferando, uh, take away, but also the people that we've hired, um, they are, that's not their first gig. So that helps a lot when you're building a fast scale company that you have people on the first, but also second line management who bring the experience to the table very, very early on. And, uh, and those people, the sort of senior, you know, senior manager or been there, done that manager, do they, they also come at a price? And I've come to find that uh, Berlin in particular, but Europe in general is not a cheap place anymore to hire talent. There's a real talent war. Are you to pay the price no matter what and compete with Google, Facebook, Amazon, or are we still not there, to, especially for impact startups? Yeah, I don't think if you're an impact startup or not, I don't think it. It there's a difference. Uh, you need to get the best people. Um, then you have the biggest impact. So you you cannot compete with a with a company who's printing money like um, Google or, or or other companies. So th definitely you have to make sure that you are at a certain stage, especially in the beginning. You incentivize the people by the mission, by the experience they're gonna make by a decent salary to take care of their family and themselves, but also you create a, um, an, an equity plan that will give us the assurance that in a success case, they're really, really taking the upside. And that has been working really well. So all the key people from the beginning, they're still on board, uh, which is not normal for, for a startup. So mm -hmm. I think they they all know when this goes really well, 
um, they they don't have to worry about the future. That's great. And it's also your case, right? Being one of the founders. And alongside your mission at Tier as a CEO, there's Blue Impact Ventures, a fund you created in 2018 to back leading players in the green tech impact space. Tell us about the, the fund size and what you invest in. Yeah, I mean, I've been investing um, as an angel for quite some time in impact companies. It was um, across the board an impact. So if you talk about food quality, uh, including climate. But then I realized uh, when climate change is progressing as it progresses, there's this number one challenge that we need to solve, which is stopping climate change. So we have to build climate tech solutions to 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 help us uh, on this yeah unprecedented uh, challenge that we are facing as as humans. So therefore, I decided um, that I pledge all my shares from Tier into mm -hmm. Blue Impact and set up uh, a little bit more professional structure. So all the returns when I sell shares, they go into Blue Impact. I did only a smaller secondary, um, which I um, yeah, fully invest into climate tech companies in the seed and, and, and pre-seed. And um, we have two smart people currently who are coming from the climate uh, um, um, engineering space. So they look at deals, we get a lot of inflow, and then they propose me once a week where we should invest. Um, and yeah, we have done... Uh, I think 20, 25 investments in the last uh, 18 months. So I would think we are more on the rather active side. And the playbook for decisions is very simple. I don't have much time because I'm running yeah. uh, uh, tier. So this is more, more of a hobby on the side, I would call it. Um, but I'm very pleased to see great entrepreneurs. And we are putting the bet on the entrepreneur and the ambition that people have. So... Um, we are very excited about people taking a lot of risks, long-term risks with high impacts. So let's double click on this. This is a highly fascinating and very inspiring. And I wish this, uh, you know, and this is what we're doing this podcast to diffuse this idea that more successful entrepreneurs should, uh, you know, re-inject their capital into the, 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 success, the, the successful entrepreneurs of tomorrow. Can you tell us how it works really uh, every time there's a secondary round through some of your shares get sold in the secondary market and then you re-inject that directly into blue impact is that how it works yeah so blue impact blue impact holds the shares of tier okay and when there's a secondary the money gets invested directly into climate tech companies and i sorted out um for myself that all the returns who are coming from those investments don't go in my pocket. They continue to be kind of an evergreen structure that we continue to invest in the future. Wow, this so is a, I'm only it, in for the mission for tier and, yeah. and, and all the returns go into the next generation. So I think it's the best impact I can have is taking care uh, of next generation not taking care and in, in, uh, paying me any dividends. Doesn't make sense. And I, I'm all up for it. So big ups to, to that. Uh, how do you live with the fact that you also have an enormous uh, risk, right? You're investing in a really risky asset class. Um, for, for you, do you want to keep a little bit on the side just to protect your, your old days and, and your retirement? Or are you not thinking that way? No, I'm not thinking that way. So I'm in a comfortable situation that I'm pretty healthy and hopefully that stays that way. And I have a decent salary um, that helps me to to 
find the the surf spot that I want to surf on holidays and take care of my family. Um, mm -hmm. So we are pretty, uh, uh, we're not living a big lifestyle. Um, and second, um, I saved also some something from the from the past, um, which which helps me to not bother about the future. But I think the most important thing is the mindset change that I made when Founders Pledge asked me, "Hey, do you want to take a few shares of your of your equity and and pledge it to?" good causes, I realized when I was thinking about it and I was a walk with my partner for like an hour after 10 minutes, she was like, yeah, it's great. Let's do more. Let's do 20%. And I was like, yeah, great. 20%. And she was asking, why don't you do 50%? I was like, yeah, uh -huh. let's do 50%. And at the end of the walk, she said, why don't you do everything? And I think, yeah, I didn't have any argument why I wouldn't do it. So the question is more like, why wouldn't you do it? If the most, the, I mean, the, if you think about next generations, they're going to ask me, my little son going to ask me, what have you done that I'm now in a situation where I don't see the animals you have seen and I don't see places that you have seen because mm -hmm. they're completely gone. So to answer that question, the only answer is I have to do everything and I have to commit 100%. And that was the answer, 100%. Wow. And that's great. So uh, can we open source this model? Can you, for example, put all the work that you've done, legal, economic model, and publish an article for people to replicate? And me and my community, we're happy to help, frankly. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's a good idea. Let me, let me think about it. Sure. But it's actually pretty simple. I mean, you just have to tell yourself, all the money that I have, just invest it into the next sure. space. And yes, you can build a foundation and you can set it up and you pay legal costs, etc. And you can kind of like handcuff yourself, but why don't you just say, I'm going to do it and I'm going to stick to it. Sure. But there's a, you know, there's one thing about having a, an, a, an aspiration. It's also one thing to follow a plan. So you know, ABC. So having a sort of roadmap for people to visualize how simple it can be could actually uh, inspire yeah. a lot. Yeah. It's a good point. Good. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And Happy to do that. Whatever helps move the needle is open bar. We did more solutions and more action. <laughs> so I wanted to switch to our rapid fire round. So in the next uh, couple of minutes, I want to give you two options and, and you answer just fairly rapidly, um, you know, with your answer. Are you ready? So the first one is, uh, yes. is venture capital versus bootstrapped in a capital intensive business like yours. Of course, venture VC money is, is necessary, but what is your general go-to rule when it comes to the first two years of a business where you haven't fully grasped the, the product market fit? Is it to grab as much VC money as possible or to keep it bootstrapped? Depends on the business. In our business, there was no way of bootstrapping it, so you need to go full force. So you cannot hate the players, you have to hate the game. And we said, okay, we need to love the game, so let's go. If you think you can do it in the background and build a really great product, solution, service, whatever, and you're not depending on future rounds because there's no red race, then I think it's an awesome solution. Okay. Now, looking at the future of Tier, what is the more likely scenario? Getting acquired, since you love the game of acquisition so much, or is it an IPO? It's more likely of to be an IPO. And do you have a time horizon or it's too early to tell? I mean, if the, 
it's more a question you have to ask the markets. So I think it will be hopefully something in the next uh, one to three years. Okay. Now, next question is global leader versus a regional leader. And we see that times and times again in especially hardware, deep tech plays. How do we scale successes beyond the Western countries? Will it happen through scaling monopolies? So having a tier acquires the smaller ones and become a monopoly? Or is it by inspiring local players to copycat? Basically, the success of tier can be copycatted in Mexico, in Kenya, and everyone, everywhere around the world to scale impact. Depends on the business in this industry. I think it's more of like a two, three player global game than many local players because the need for funding is um, quite significant, especially in the beginning to build your brand, to build uh, hardware, to deploy hardware, et cetera, run operations until you're profitable. So I think especially now the pressure will be on the smaller players as uh, for the big ones. So consolidation will increase and therefore overall there will be a couple of players rather than 20, 30 regional players. And now last question to the rapid fire round, investor or founder, which role drives the most impact in your opinion? And you're perfectly suited since you've been in on both sides, any particular opinion? Founder, 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 founder. And uh, absolutely, I mean, investors wouldn't have a job if there wouldn't be founders. Uh, and founders would have a job if, if there wouldn't be investors. Right. So I think no money founders the have the biggest impact. Yeah. And yet you're, you're committing all your, yeah. your so profits th- and stake into investments. So there's a place for both. Yeah. And I think there's, there's I mean, there, there's a place for both, right? Um, but I think um, there, there needs to be an ecosystem. Uh, and I think you're also shaping it in the climate mm-hmm. space which is really important that founders have better access to capital on the climate tech world, especially on the groundbreaking uh, things that people are really thinking about, which we need. Yeah. Um, so overall, the ecosystem needs to be fueled by venture capital, but also by the founders. But at the end, it starts with the founders. Yes, absolutely. And since you're talking about the ecosystem, how do we accelerate the growth of this ecosystem? For people that dream of working in climate tech as a founder or as an employee, and I want to leave their bullshit jobs, you know, made of hierarchy, meetings and politics, and want to join inspiring organizations like Tier, any advice, any practical advice you would have for them? Where should they start? I think they should engage and speak to people because sometimes people who are in these corporate jobs, they have fear of... Um, that they are leaving a safe space, but actually uh, leaving a safe space to go for adventure is always uh, the biggest fun. Uh, but sometimes people need a little push. And if, if the push is connecting with people in the space, going to meetups, going to conferences, whatever, like going into the community will show them there are just awesome people who really create impact and they love building products, they love creating uh, solutions for the planet, etc. So I think it's going to be much more fulfilling if you go to a startup because you're going to learn uh, much quicker. So at Tier, we always say what you learn at Tier in one year is what you learn in corporate in five years. And I think it's something that employees uh, many times repeated. So I think just go on a startup, learn. You can leave anyway at one point of time and build your own thing or go to a corporate. But I think your learning curve will be the biggest in the startup. Yes, and, and let's double click on, the, on that as well. It's 
uh, let's face it, right, in today's competitive job environment, startups are either too early with huge uncertainty, which isn't to the taste of everybody, or they have already reached a critical size, like uh, you could argue tier, uh, where it becomes hugely competitive to get hired, or you kind of get a junior role is not as exciting. So for the 99% that are still on the sideline, not in climate, but looking a way in, uh, where should they start? Do you, do you, would you advise them to get a, a position in a risky early stage startup and battle their way into a scale up? Um, uh, yeah. Depends, depends, on the, depends on the profile, the experience that the people had. If I would be a young person, um, I would go straight to, straight to a startup because that's where you learn the most. Um, so there are still situations where we are, where we are, uh, a couple of thousand people and we need people who have seen bigger structures, who have seen how to navigate bigger ships. So therefore there's also a need for those people, um, that are more experienced. So I think it's depending on your profile, but anyway, as I said, it's, 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 it's the biggest adventure is a startup. And if you look at the startup as an adventure, the biggest adventure of that is actually in the beginning. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So burn your wings, uh, break things, learn a lot. Uh, I would say that startup experience is probably the biggest leverage in your career these days. And for those people that think that they've missed a train, that is too late, it is not too late. This is just the beginning. It's barely starting and climate change will occupy our days till the end. So how can people reach out and you know, join Tier? Is there one avenue you would recommend? Yeah, I mean, we have uh, um, go to our career page, um, send me a message on LinkedIn. Um, if you want to do something for Blue Impact, uh, we have a contact address there. So all the founders who are working on really crazy climate tech stuff, uh, happy to speak to us. Um, we, we always take a look at it. Um, so, yeah, um, don't, don't be Impact, shy. And for Blue Impact, are you looking to, to scale the team or keep it relatively niche? Or is this something that you're opening up to your other family? Yeah, we always have entrepreneurs. Yeah, so we think about how we can scale that in a way that uh, we 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 try to motivate more people um, to think that way and to repurpose the capital to the climate tech space and don't think about own own returns. Think about the return for the planet. Um, and we always have two or three young people who are coming from the university uh, or interns uh, who help us, but they also learn. Uh, a shitload because they're speaking to great founders, but also talking to great uh, investors because we're trying to work with all the investors in the space because we think we can build a different mindset in the venture capital scene, in the in in in, in the in the uh, climate tech scene, if we are working more together than against, as you see it more often in the classic VC game. Yeah, that's right. So thanks so much, Lawrence. This has been great, and to all of you guys listening. Uh, we're doing this podcast for you, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that are looking to penetrate this space. So don't hesitate to reach out to Climate Insiders or to Tier, and we would love to learn um, your feedback. So if you um, if you can think of a way to improve this, or other investors and and great founders we should have on the show, drop us a comment on LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, and we can exchange directly. Thanks so much, Lawrence. Great, thanks for having me. And until next time. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. Thanks for listening to another episode of Climate Insiders, the leading climate tech podcast in Europe. If you've enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co. 
Climate Insiders is brought to you by Clementum Capital, a late C to Series A Climate Tech VC. To learn more about Clementum Capital, apply for funding or become an LP, visit clementum.com.